Hey, my name is Phil, and this is my wife, Meredith, and we are the pastors here at Cornerstone Church. We're so glad that you have connected with us here today and that you're getting ready to listen to a message that we know is going to build a resilient faith in your life. Right now, in this moment and in our days ahead, let's continue declaring Jesus over every situation. Enjoy the message. Hey, I am uh, so glad that you are here today for this Palm Sunday. I wanna encourage you just to stay standing if you can. We're gonna read a passage of scripture here in just a moment, but this is Palm Sunday, and we're so glad that you're here. If we haven't met yet, my name is Phil, and my wife and I are part of the team here at Cornerstone, and I'm so glad that you're here. I believe that whether you're here for the first time or whether you're here for the thousandth time, that God has something special for you. It is our prayer and it is our heart that every time that you experience a Cornerstone Church service that you would encounter the living God, that the Holy Spirit would move powerfully in your life, that you would hear not me today, but that you would hear the Holy Spirit speaking directly the word that you need today. And so whether you're in the house or whether you're joining online, I believe that God has something special for you on this Palm Sunday and that God has been speaking to me recently and I've been just mulling over some thoughts and chewing into this scripture about what God would speak to us today. And I believe that God has something special for you. And so we're gonna read from Matthew 21 and verses one through nine. We're gonna be reading in the New International Version. We've been in a series called Healed People for the last couple of weeks. Has anyone been enjoying Healed People? I see some like apprehension. People are like, yes, but no. Right, when, when I have been asking people, did you enjoy that message about being healed people? You know, we've, we've been talking about what it means to remain in healing, what it means to rest in healing. We've been talking about what it means to be people of forgiveness, knowing that if God has called us to heal people, we first and foremost must be healed ourselves because healed people heal people, right? And so as I've been speaking to different people after services, they've been saying, I love that message, except I feel like I've just been punched around a little bit. I feel like I've been in a boxing match, right? And that's because the Holy Spirit is at work. Just like when you go to the gym, you work out, it feels good, but you also feel a little bit of pain as well because that, you know that you're growing. Where there's a little bit of pain, you know that you're growing. When the Holy Spirit is moving, you know that you're growing. And so we're gonna be taking a break just for a couple of weeks in this Healed People series. We're gonna take a break for today and for Easter, and then we're gonna pick up Healed People right after Easter again as we keep talking about what it means to be healed people. But today we're gonna to be reading this scripture for Palm Sunday that reads in Matthew 21 verses one through nine. It says this, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet, that's Zechariah 9 and 9, where it says, say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road and while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road as well. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that follow shouted, Hosanna, which means save us. Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus, we're thankful that you have gathered us here today in this place. Holy Spirit, I thank you for what you're doing. 
Holy Spirit, I ask that you would break what you need to break, that you would fix what you need to fix, that you would reveal what you need to reveal, that you would restore what you need to restore. Thank you. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and grab your seats wherever you're at today. Thank you, David. This is a very famous piece of scripture that typically Christians around the world will read every single Palm Sunday, which is the week that we have right before Easter Sunday. And it's the triumphant entrance of Jesus as he is making his way to Jerusalem. Now, there is a whole bunch of buzz in the atmosphere. There's excitement that is filling the place. We just read about this scripture where there is like a party that is taking place for a few different reasons particularly. We know that one, this is during the time of Passover, which means that there's already a bunch of people that are there, firstly. Secondly, Jesus has also just raised Lazarus from the dead, and so there is a bunch of people that are just excited, crowds of people that are filling the streets. We saw people that are taking off their cloaks from their body and laying them down on the ground for Jesus to ride in on on the donkey. There are people that are cutting branches off trees and laying them down on the streets for Jesus to ride in on. There are people that are coming out of Jerusalem to welcome him in because there is so much excitement in the atmosphere. There's a buzz in the atmosphere. People are jazzed up for Jesus, and they're excited. Team Jesus is alive. There is a whole bunch of excitement in the atmosphere. And thirdly, Jesus knows exactly what he is doing. He is coming into Jerusalem on a cult, knowing that people will make the connection as he rides on this donkey that he is fulfilling the scripture of the Messiah that we know about in Zechariah 9 and 9. He's intentionally doing it. And so we know that moment after moment after moment, there is anticipation that is building in this place because of what Jesus is doing. We know that people are coming out of Jerusalem to welcome him into Jerusalem. And we know that really this is the beginning of the end of Jesus's ministry on earth. But people are excited for all the wrong reasons. We know that the people that were there, multitudes of people were excited because they thought they expected Jesus to be a military king that would be freeing them from the Roman occupation of their land. We know that they thought they expected Jesus to be riding in on a horse declaring war against the Romans. However, what they got was Jesus riding in on a donkey declaring peace over the world. They had expectations, and Jesus exceeded their expectations. I want to talk today for the next few minutes about expectations, expectations, expectations. We're going to talk about expectations today. Go ahead and look at the nearest person to you and tell them, I've got expectations. Tell them, I've got expectations. If you're joining online right now, put ahead, go ahead and put it in the chat and tell them, I've got expectations, expectations. Because to have expectations is human. To exceed expectations is divine. To have expectations is human. To exceed expectations is divine. We know this about ourselves. We know this about when we read stories in the Bible, that to have expectations is human, and to exceed expectations is divine. We see this time and time again when we read the stories in the Bible. We know that there was a man who expected healing, and Jesus exceeded his expectation and brought him salvation. 
We know that there was a man who expected some money when he was begging, and the disciples exceeded his expectation and provided him healing. We know that the disciples expected fish on a certain day, and what Jesus did was that he exceeded their expectations and he brought them a savior. To have expectations is human, to exceed expectations is divine. We know that the disciples expected Jesus to send the 5,000 men and their families away when they were all hungry, and Jesus exceeded their expectations when he took just a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread and he fed the thousands of people. We know that the people in this scripture that we just read, they expected a military king that would free them from tyranny, that would get the Romans out of Israel and allow them to live as a free community again. They expected a military king that would free them from the Romans. But Jesus exceeded their expectation, didn't free them from the Romans, free them from the sin that was captive on their own lives and set the world free. To have expectations is human. To exceed expectations is divine. We all have expectations. No matter what you give God, though, he will exceed your expectations. Whatever it is that you give to him, he will exchange for something better. It makes me think about a story of a guy named Kyle McDonald. You might have heard this story before. Kyle McDonald was this guy that took this paperclip it was actually a red paper clip, but I couldn't find it. He takes a paper clip and he decides to see what he can trade it for on a certain day. So he takes this paper clip and then he goes to somebody and he says, I want to see what you will trade this paper clip for. And this person traded the paper clip for a doorknob. And he thought, well, I've just traded up. So I'm going to try this again. I'm going to take the doorknob that I now have and I'm going to see if somebody else will trade it for something better. And then he trades that thing for something better. And then he trades that thing for something better. And then within one year, he has taken a paper clip and he has traded his way up to a house. Started with a paper clip and he exchanged his way for something better up until he had a house. And that reminds me of what Jesus does in our life. Every time that you exchange something with Jesus, he will give you something better. Whether you give him a paperclip or whether you give him your life, whether you give him your doubts, whether you give him your hopes and dreams, he will exchange what you give him for something better. See, we all have expectations and God continues to exceed our expectations. We have expectations because having expectations is human, right? We know that. To have expectations is human. We have expectations about a whole lot of different things. We have expectations about ourselves. We have expectations about ourselves. You have an expectation to keep the job that you have. You have an expectation to be able to provide for yourself financially. You have an expectation to wake up and get out of bed every single day. I have the expectation of how long it's going to take me to mow the, my grass every single week that I mow it. And it's 26 minutes, and Meredith is my witness that I have the expectation of how fast that I want to be able to do. We have expectations about our weight. We have expectations on how many steps that we want to do in our day. We have expectations about ourselves. We also have expectations about other people. We have expectations about others. We have expectations when we go into marriage. When Meredith and I got married, I expected for us to have sex every single day. And let me just tell you, Meredith did not have the same expectation as we entered into marriage. See, I figured because 
Meredith and I were virgins when we entered into marriage that we had a whole lot of catch-up to play. And so I figured it just makes sense then that we, every single day, wasn't the same expectation for her. We have expectations in marriage that we're gonna be faithful to each other. We have expectations of our friends that we would be loyal to each other. We have expectations that if I reach out to you that you will communicate back with me. We have expectations of reciprocity. We have expectations that if I treat you right, that you will treat me right. If I scratch your back, then you will scratch my back, right? We have expectations that if I'm loyal to you, then you will be loyal to me. We have expectations of other people. We have expectations of our leaders. Political, religious, we have expectations of our leaders. Higher standards that we expect of our leaders. We have expectations of our kids if you have them. Expectations of our kids. I remember when I was 18 years old, this is before Meredith and I even met, I would look around me and I would see all these parents that had no idea what they were doing. They had no idea about how to parent. And like all good 18-year-olds, I was full of opinion that nobody asked for. And so I would look at, all these look at all these parents and all these children that weren't listening to their parents, and I knew exactly what they needed to do. And so just like all good 18-year-olds, I decided that I needed to share my opinion. Even though I was single, even though I had no children, I knew exactly how parents should be parenting. And so I did what I thought was necessary at the time, I decided to write a book about parenting, even though I had no children of my own because I had expectations on what children should act like. I got like 18 to 20 pages in on this book and then I realized the foolishness of, it took me 18 pages before I realized the foolishness of writing a book even though I had no kids myself about parenting. And now I have learned to shift those expectations about kids because I had expectations that children should always listen to their parents the first time. I had the expectation that when I would be a parent that my children would listen to me every single time words came out of my mouth. I had that expectation. I had the expectation that my children would always finish the food that I put in front of them. I had that expectation. I have now learned to change the expectation that I have. No one will ever see the 18 or 20 pages of my book that I wrote when I was 18 years old because I realized that my expectations of others was warped, but our expectations change over time. We have expectations of ourselves, we have expectations of others, we have expectations of life. We have expectations of where we expect to be in life by a certain age. We have expectations about how much money we plan to have by a certain age. We have expectations that if I go and get an education, that there will be a better job for me on the other side of it. We have expectations of life, we have expectations about how many children we might be able to have. We have expectations about when we might be able to get married, when we might be able to buy a house. We have expectations in life. And not just in those types of things of career, but we also have expectations in society. Like I truly thought that by 2021 that we would have flying cars by now. I had the expectations. We've been talking about having flying driverless cars for like 50 years now. And I had the expectation that because we've been talking about it for so long, because Silicon Valley is so awesome, that we would have flying driverless cars. However, we still drive our cars around like schmucks every single day because we don't have driverless cars. I thought I had the expectation that we would be done by COVID by now. This time last year, I remember speaking to some really learned, educated people that told me, 
this thing will be gone in two weeks. You won't even hear about it anymore. In two weeks' time, it'll just be a memory. And here we are, 12 months later, still dealing with the ramifications of COVID, still dealing with the ramifications of this virus. I had the expectation that we would be done with it by now. I'm sure that you did as well. We have expectations in life. And we also have expectations of God. We have expectations of God. Sometimes we have these expectations because of the promises that he has given us. But often we have expectations of God because we misquote the things that he has said. Because we change the scripture on the way that it was intended. And we take scripture like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we think, well, therefore, I can do anything. Therefore, I can bench 300 pounds even though I've never worked out at the gym a day in my life. That scripture is talking about contentment. That scripture is not talking about, I can do anything that God wants me to do. That scripture is talking about contentment. We take other scriptures like God will give me the desires of my heart or anything that I ask for in his name that he will grant me. And therefore, anything that I want and I put the name of Jesus on, I expect to be able to get that thing. But that's not how it works. And so then, when you are expecting this and your reality is this, the gap that exists between the two is disappointment. And I wanna talk for a little while, not just about expectations, but I wanna talk about your disappointment. You might be living in this reality still. You might have been praying for this. You might have been expecting that God would move on this way and that now your reality is still this. And I wanna talk about a God who is big enough to deal with your disappointment. I wanna talk for a little while about a God who is big enough to deal with your disappointment of yourself, to deal with your disappointment of others, to deal with your disappointment of life, and a God who is big enough to deal with your disappointment of him. He can deal with it. He can deal with it. Sometimes we think that we can't give God the disappointment that we have and that we need to hold on to that, but God is big enough to deal with the disappointment that you have. Even if God has not answered the prayer the way that you thought that he would, God is big enough to deal with the expectation. God is big enough to deal with the disappointment that you might have. And I think that one of the areas that we as pastors and preachers have emphasized too much on is being overcomers, is talking about prosperity, is talking about victory. And God certainly does give us those things. But sometimes God does not give you overcoming in the way that you thought that you would be an overcomer. Sometimes when you pray for things that God would remove the storm from you, God leads you straight through the storm. Sometimes when we pray that God would remove the suffering from your life, God leads you straight through the suffering. Sometimes when we pray that God would remove the battle from your life, God leads you straight through the battle that you have against you. Sometimes God walks us into suffering. And we have the belief as Christians far too often that God will always make you a victor, that God will always make you an overcomer. We just had this great series, I can do all things because I, all I do is win, right? All I do is win. But that doesn't mean that you are going to win every single battle. What that means is that in the end you will win. When you place Jesus in the center, all you do is win. That doesn't mean that every single battle, that doesn't mean every single storm, that doesn't mean every single struggle will flee from your life. Sometimes God will lead you into the storm. Sometimes God will lead you into the struggle. But as preachers, sometimes we emphasize 
the prosperity. Sometimes we emphasize the overcoming, the victory, the, the being a champion. Sometimes we emphasize the wrong types of things. And I don't know if it's just me or if you uh, see this as well, but this is our Easter season and it doesn't even feel in some ways like it's Easter next week. Easter is a time where typically we have a Lent season. We have Easter and we have this season of Lent where we should be focusing on the suffering. We should be focusing on the struggle that Christ endured for us. We should be focusing on the sacrifice that Christ went through for us. However, over the last 12 months, instead of focusing on the suffering that Christ endured for us, we have been focusing on our own struggle. We've been focusing on our own fears. We've been focusing on our own insecurities so that we haven't put our focus and our attention on the struggle, on the suffering that Christ endured for us. And I don't wanna make light of the pandemic right now. That's not what I'm doing, because I know that it's a serious thing. I know that a lot of people have been impacted by this, but I just know that struggle is relative. I know that suffering is relative. See, my children have grandparents on the other side of the world that they have never met yet. And when I think about that moment, it fills me with sadness that they have grandparents and family that they've never met yet. But then I remind myself that there are children also on the other side of the world that have never seen what clean water is. It's relative. Suffering is relative. And if you have been given the necessity to go and spend two weeks in quarantine in your perfectly heated, perfectly cooled 68 or 69 degree home, sometimes we look at that like it's struggle because I can't go to work, because I can't be around my friends, because I can't be around my family. But I wonder if the person that is in the refugee camp because they have come out of a war-torn nation would look at you in your perfectly heated, perfectly cooled home and see that as struggle. And again, I'm not making light of the pandemic. Please hear me correctly in this. I'm not making light of this because I know that each of us have different struggles. I know that our struggles look different, but I'm just wondering if the fact that Amazon Prime sometimes, my delivery doesn't arrive in two days and sometimes it takes five days. I wonder if that is a struggle that other people in other sides of the world would see as a struggle. I'm just talking about how suffering is relative. Suffering's relative. My type of suffering doesn't look like your type of suffering. Your type of suffering doesn't look like your type of suffering. Your type of suffering doesn't look like your type of suffering. Suffering is relative. That's one thing that I've learned. I've also learned not to ask the question of why bad things happen to good people. Why do bad things happen to me? If I'm acting right, if I'm believing right, if I'm doing right, why do bad things happen to me? This is a question that Christians ask all the time. Why do bad things happen to me? And that's the wrong question. The real answer for that question is if something bad happened to Jesus, then you can better believe that something bad is gonna happen to me. If God in his goodness did not allow Jesus to avoid pain, then what makes you think that you are going to avoid pain and suffering? If Jesus walked straight into suffering, then what makes you think that you can avoid it? Suffering is relative, but suffering was also endured by Jesus. 
and I absolutely will not wallow in my own suffering. I'm not gonna complain in my own suffering. Matter of fact, I'm gonna place Jesus right in the middle of my suffering. I'm gonna put him right in the center. I'm gonna declare Jesus right where I'm at. No matter what I'm experiencing, good or bad, I'm gonna declare Jesus right in the middle of my situation, believing that he will see me through it. Even if he walked me into the fire, he says, I will stand there with you. Even if you have bills that you cannot pay, he says, I will stand there with you. Even if you have to drink your way into the next day, he says, I will stand there with you. No matter your situation, no matter your circumstance, no matter your environment, he says, I will stand there with you. And I'm not gonna build my life, I'm not gonna build my confidence on the situation that I have. I'm not gonna build my life and my, my faith and my circumstances on everything that is going around me. I'm gonna build my confidence on what God has told me about myself. I'm gonna build my confidence on what Christ has spoken over me. I'm gonna build my confidence on my identity in Christ, knowing that he has called me to walk this thing out. And I'm gonna keep placing Jesus right in the middle of it. And really, the beauty of our faith is that we know that God does not hide suffering from us. Preachers might do it, but God doesn't hide suffering from us. God will not hide suffering from you. See, when you're a preacher, it's easy to finish a message saying that you are more than a conqueror, that you will overcome this situation that you find yourself in today, that the Holy Spirit is working on your behalf, that the Holy Spirit is battling in this moment for you, that the Holy Spirit will lead you through this. But what if he doesn't? What if you are praying for this relationship to get restored and then it ends in divorce? What if you're praying for this person to get healed and then they die? What if you are praying for this situation to flee from you, this struggle to flee from you, and then God leads you right into that? What if you're praying for this and then you experience that? The reality is that Jesus is present in our struggle. The reality is that God is right there with you in the difficult times and the good times. Jesus himself knows what it's like to have a crowd that forms quickly, and that same crowd will disperse quickly. Crowds that form quickly disperse quickly. Crowds that form in moments of triumph will disperse when they see the tree. Crowds that form when they see the king will disperse when they see the cross. Sometimes we are pursuing the crowd, but in reality, we know that if the crowd forms quickly, the crowd will disperse quickly. And Jesus had his largest crowds in his most insignificant moments. Have you thought about this? That Jesus, in his greatest moments of need, was most alone. Sometimes, in your moments of greatest need, you will feel most alone. Usually when life is going well for you, the crowd is around you. But when life is difficult for you, that's when you feel alone. And I came today to tell you that the Jesus that knows a little thing about struggles, he knows what it's like to be alone in his most difficult moments, he knows what it's like to be hated for something that he didn't do. He knows what it's like to endure struggles. He knows what it's like to be familiar with struggles. He's accustomed to it. That same Jesus knows what it's like and wants to walk into your struggle. 
He is God when you're in the wheelchair. He is God when you're in your struggle. He is God in your divorce. He's God in your physical agony. He's God in your despair. He's God in your addiction. He's God in your difficult moments. And you might be praying that God would free you from it, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. He's still God no matter what situation you find yourself in. He is still God. He's God no matter what your environment is. He's God no matter who hates you. He's God no matter how, who loves you. He's God no matter how big your crowd is. He's God no matter how quickly that crowd disperses. He is still God. And see, we in the church talk often about what it means to be an overcomer. But the reality is that you can't be an overcomer unless you have something to come over. You can't be a champion unless you have a battle that you have overcome. You can't be more than a conqueror unless there is something that has come against you. And so far too often, we pray that God would remove the battle from us, that God would remove the storm from us. But God says, I want you to be an overcomer. I promise you that weapons will be formed against you. You can expect weapons to be formed against you, but we can also expect that those weapons will not prosper. Weapons will come and weapons will go. Mountains will come and mountains will go. Valleys will come and valleys will go. Crowds will come and crowds will go. But he is still God. He is still God. He is still God. See, the the mature believer knows not to build our faith on our circumstances. Because if you build your faith, if you build your identity on your circumstances, then all the enemy has to do is attack your circumstances. If you build your faith, if you build your security on your paycheck, then all the enemy has to do is attack your paycheck. If you build your faith, if you build your identity, if you build your security on your relationships, then all the enemy has to do is attack your relationships. But no, I'm not gonna build my life, I'm not gonna build my security on those things. I'm gonna build my life on Christ alone, knowing that what he has said about me is the truth, knowing that what he has said about me is what my identity is, knowing that when I build my life, when I find my security on Christ alone, I will not waver, I will not falter. I will find myself in firm foundation knowing that Christ is my center and that I will put him at the center of every situation that I find myself in. I will not build my faith, I will not build my confidence on my circumstances. I will put my hope in the Lord. And it's, it's funny to me how many times we see God as a reflection of what our situation is. The way that we see God is often a reflection of how good or bad our life is. If your life is going well, Well, praise God, Hosanna in the highest. Everything is good. My life is awesome. I just landed a promotion. I just got that new job. My business is blowing up. My fiance just said, yes, we've just set a date. We just gave birth to a brand new healthy baby boy. Therefore, God loves me. The goodness of the life that you are experiencing is not evidence of how much God loves you in the same way that the difficulty that you are experiencing life is not evidence of a God who has removed himself from you. It is not evidence of a God who is displeased with you. It is not evidence of a God who is upset with you or does not love you. The story of the prodigal son, we know that. 
The story of the prodigal son, we know that while the son left, that didn't change the way that the father loved his son. The father always loved his son. The father never left the son. The father was there with his arms wide open, ready to receive the son back. While the son changed the expectations, receiving his inheritance early, the father still loved his son. And so we have different expectations but God will always exceed the expectations that we have. Whatever it is that you give God, whether a paperclip or something else, God will exceed the expectations that you have. God will continue exceeding the expectations that you have. And maybe over this past year, God has already exceeded your expectations. I know there are some of you, I've spoken to many of you that say, you know what, I'm tired of 2020 being labeled as a bad year because 2020 for me was the best year in my business, because 2020 for me was a year of great overcoming, because 2020 was a year for me where we gave birth to a brand new healthy child. 2020 for me was a good year and I'm tired of it being labeled as a bad year. And I'm so happy for you. And I know that the correct response that you have, the correct feeling that you have is gratitude because everything good comes from God. I know that you are filled with gratitude. I know that you are filled with understanding that the goodness that you are experiencing in life is purely because of God and the blessing and the favor of God in your life and that you are filled with gratitude because of that. And so that you take this message and you tuck it away and you put it in your pocket so that the next time that you have expectations here and you have a reality that's here, you know what to do with the disappointment that you have in your life. In all seasons, whether good or bad, whether your prayers are answered immediately or whether your prayers take decades to answer, and the struggle and the suffering that exists between the two and the frustration that you might be experiencing, put Jesus at the center of it. Keep declaring Jesus over your life. Keep exchanging everything that you have with everything that Jesus wants for you. Keep giving him everything that you have and watch him return it better. Sometimes in life we hold on to things that we have, we hold on to things that we want, we hold on to things with firm grip because we don't wanna lose them. But everything that you give to God, he will exchange for something better. God exceeds expectations. We have expectations, but God exceeds expectations. I'd love it if everybody in the room, everybody that's joining online would stand in this moment. The story that we that we read at the beginning, the triumphant entrance of Jesus as he walked into Jerusalem is a story that's mentioned in each of the four different gospels. We read about it in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we read Matthew's account at the beginning. But John, when he writes about it, he writes something really interesting at the end of his account of the triumphant entrance of Jesus as he enters into Nazareth. Now keep in mind, this is a moment of great celebration. This is a party, there's a great festivity that's in the air, there's a buzz that is surrounding this environment. Everybody is excited. And then John, in his account, writes about the Pharisees and what they are saying and what the Pharisees are thinking. 
The Pharisees are this group of people that seem like they are upset all the time with everything that Jesus is doing because they are protecting tradition, they are protecting laws, they are protecting legislation. And while they are seeing their Messiah entering into Jerusalem, instead of being part of the festivities, instead of being a part of the celebration, they stand off to the side and they criticize and they mock. And we see them say this in John chapter 12, verse 19. This is the same story. And the Pharisees, this is their response. Everybody is out celebrating. They say this. Then the Pharisees said to each other, there is nothing that we can do. Look, everyone has gone after him. Everyone has gone after him. They meant this as an insult. They meant this as a discouragement. They meant this as a criticism. But those that were there would have received this as an inspiration. Those that were there would have received this as an encouragement. Look, everyone has gone after him. I choose to believe that the Pharisees were not just speaking about what they could see with their natural eyes in that moment. I choose to believe that the Pharisees were unintentionally prophesying what we will still see. Look, everyone has gone after him. What they're talking about is revival. Look, everyone has gone after him. Look, everyone has gone after him. How awesome would it be if that was said about this community? How awesome would it be if that was said about our church? Look, there goes Cornerstone, a people that is going after him. That's what revival is, a world that is going after Jesus, nations going after Jesus. Christianity is sometimes dressed up in different types of ways. Christianity has different terms and phrases that we put after, but really Christianity is simply going after Jesus. Going after Jesus, that's simply all it is. When you go after Jesus, and it's our prayer, it's Meredith and my prayer that we would have a community of people going after Jesus, fully sold out, going after Jesus. And for you today, maybe you've never done that before. Maybe you have never gone after Jesus. Maybe you have never pursued Jesus before. Maybe it's been a long time since you last pursued Jesus. Maybe you did when you were a child. Maybe you did some years ago. Maybe you've just been in the status quo over the last few years. And it's been a while since you last went after Jesus. I wanna give us a moment right now for those that are here, for those that are joining online, for us to make that right. For, for those to decide again to go after Jesus. I wanna make sure that we have an entire faith community that is going after Jesus, that is declaring Jesus over every part of our life, that we would go after Him.